The Great Filter is a Phobos Tech podcast. All proceeds go to fund the STEM Theory Research Project, inspired by the economic systems of both Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek and Ian M. Binks's Culture series. STEM Theory aims for a cleaner, healthier future for all of humanity. Go to thegreatfilterpodcast.com to like, rate, subscribe, or follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more. The Great Filter has adopted the No Pass Directive. That's no placements, ads, spots, or sponsors. So check out the support link at thegreatfilterpodcast.com and consider becoming a monthly contributor. Options are as low as 99 cents per month. Thank you. Will we be the filtered or the filtrate? This is the Great Filter. The conquered people now have to somehow obtain those physical coins in order to pay their taxes, which puts them at an enormous disadvantage in trading. They must accept any terms they can get for their own labor. What looks like a global free market, facilitated by universal coins, is really just debt peonage. The coins don't facilitate, they restrict. All debt, especially interest-drawing debt, is intimately related to its enforcement mechanism. When money is a hard, fungible unit of scarcity, enforcement isn't a matter of trust, it's a matter of force. When your enforcement mechanism is state-backed violence, lenders and debtors have a pretty different relationship. Alex Danko. All right, to be fair to Mr. Alex Danko, <laughs> uh, this particular quote was um, it was more of an explanation of David Graeber's book, The First 5,000 Years of Debt. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that a little later. But uh, I would also like to note that, that this quote, I actually extracted some of the, I guess, less um, important details uh, just to kind of, you know, shorten the quote. Uh, it was a bit of a lengthy quote, so if you would like to actually read his article or um, take a look at the <laughs> the actual quote, the full quote, um, I'm going to leave a link to the blog entry in the episode description. All right, for this episode, we're going to sort of go down a Darwinian rabbit hole, and we're going to talk about survival uh, in respect to humanity, specifically, what does survival look like for humanity? How has humanity survived in the past? And what are the specific evolution-honed traits that humanity currently has at our disposal? Does humanity truly have what it takes to handle a potential great filter? Do we have what it takes to proactively prepare for a great filter? And are we willing to utilize those specific evolutionary or evolution-shaped traits? Well, to answer that, or, or at least, you know, to uh, hypothesize about, about that, we need to look at uh, the story of humanity. How, how did we get to where we are? Now, in order to really, really look at this logically, I think I would be remiss if we didn't talk about evolution, if we didn't at least, uh, you know, um, uh, contemplate evolution, contemplate how 
evolution has shaped us, what our ancestors were like, what the traits are that we currently have that helped our ancestors survive. What are the traits that we currently have that uh, are fairly new within the past, you know, a couple of thousand years? And uh, as we kind of come through this, I think it would be important to begin to sort of analyze each of these traits and consider whether or not these traits are, uh, are at least useful to some degree for some sort of collective survival. Now, we've all heard the term survival of the fittest, but as popular and as widespread as that term is, it is it's a misnomer. It's, it very poorly describes uh, evolutionary pressures. The correct way to think about survival in, you know, from, from an evolutionary point of view is to think of it as, as survival of the, you know, of anything that, that's just barely, barely sufficient to survive and above. So it, it's not survival of the fittest. In, in fact, it's, it's pretty far from survival of the fittest. If, if an organism has what it takes to even just barely survive, even if it's just like, you know, just squeezing through, that is enough for it to survive and to go on and procreate and have kids and for its lineage to uh, perpetuate. That, that hardly means that it's the fittest. Now, here's a pretty big, foul, uh, bitter pill, and it's, it's not something that the Western culture, that our Western mindset, or I guess a better way to say this is, it's not something that our Western colored egos uh, wants to believe or, or even wants to, wants to acknowledge as, as a possibility. Okay, okay, so here it is. If you were to randomly select a human from anywhere across the planet, it really doesn't matter where, just random selection, plucked them out of their, you know, little community and tossed them to a jungle or the desert or, or, or you know, some, some unpopulated uh, wilderness somewhere on the planet. The chances that that person would be able to survive like really survive and come out on top, it's, it's slim to none. As individuals, humans suck at surviving. We, we are terrible. We don't have really any, any natural weapons. We don't have claws. We don't have big, sharp teeth and huge jaws with, you know, intense uh, crushing pressures. We just don't. The only, I guess, feature that we do have that could be used or modified as a weapon is our intelligence. Now, that's not to say that you can't survive. That's not to say that you can't go out, you know, by yourself for years on end into, you know, some forest or some jungle and survive. It's, it's possible and it's been done. But you have to realize that the people that do that and, and you know, get a thrill out of it, they've trained for it. You know, they've spent years learning survival tactics and putting them to the test, going out and spending months on their own out in the wild. But when we're talking about just the average human, just plucking an average person out of nowhere and just tossing them into the wilderness, the chances of survival is 
pretty close to zero. I mean, for sure, city dwellers, people that have been uh, uh, severed from, you know, that connection with nature, that, that, that instinct that you get when you're in such close contact with the natural world, it's totally gone for, for city dwellers. Uh, I would estimate, you know, that there's, there's no science to back this, but uh, just a, a, an educated guess, I would estimate that most, most city folk thrown into a, a situation like that would not survive the first month. Now, uh, of course, um, there are some people whose daily lives are close enough to what it would be like, you know, out on your, on your own in the wilderness. Uh, I've been to the Philippines and those people live pretty close to nature. Not, you know, it's kind of a, in a good way too, actually. I kind of admire the way, the way their lives are structured over there. But anyway, um, somebody from either a less developed country or somebody who you know has spent their life closer to to nature closer to where that that veil between <laughs> you know the human world and the natural world is thinner you know they would be the ones far more likely to survive than uh those of us that are you know living in uh <laughs> the lap of luxury living uh in these little human padded comfort rooms so how how did we survive? How did our ancestors <laughs> pave the way uh, uh, to the top of the food chain? How did we get here? Okay, well, here's the thing. The fact that, that a randomly selected human from just about anywhere would not survive the wild, the fact that you could just pluck somebody up and throw them out into whatever wilderness anywhere, and they would most certainly fail it's not a bad thing in fact it's actually the result or kind of a byproduct of one of humanity's greatest strengths of one of our most potent traits it's the side effect of the trait that has led us to the top of the food chain. Okay, now just a really quick side note because this is super important uh, to, to, to understand this concept for, for you know a couple of things we're going to get into uh, a little later, but being at the top of the food chain in absolutely no way indicates neither the maturity of a species nor the species worthiness to you know to be rulers of the world to be at the top of the food chain it just simply indicates that that particular species had what it takes to get there arguably the two most important traits that that humanity has you know obtained over you know the millions of years we've been through the evolutionary uh, grinder uh, are one, our social aptitude, and two, our intelligence. Okay, so let's tackle both traits uh, one at a time. Let's, let's talk about, you know, social organisms. First of all, you, you don't need 
you know, individual intelligence for for a social um, organism to have to have an incredible impact on the world around it and the you know the the other organisms around them. It, you don't need it, and you know, a good uh, a good example are are ants. Ants are incredibly productive little creatures, and you know, together when they're in their collective, when they're you know, all working together, they do exhibit a sort of collective t intelligence that allows them to accomplish an incredible amount of things, achievements that are just mind-blowing. So, you know, right, you, you, you don't need, um, you don't need to have a high, a high intelligence factor for each individual agent in order to uh, uh, have a profound impact. However, if you do put, you know, if you do toss in uh, a high intelligence factor, if you do create this, this social uh, collective where each agent has uh, the capacity to work out problems on their own and to, uh, I don't know, you know, carry out complex thought processes and uh, perform intricate tasks and, and create and manipulate its own environment in order to um, um, uh, best suit its its and its uh, collective's best interests, well, now you have an extremely powerful combination. Okay, so now I, I don't know if you know what a superorganism is, but the, the technical definition for a superorganism is um, any organism of, you know, the sort that we've been talking about, the, the kind of organism that... Uh, that needs a communal structure that has a very tight, a tight, I guess, knitting um, between you know each individual agent within their um, within their collective. A superorganism is is a collective of the sort, right? Where if an individual agent or an individual from the collective wanders off on its own, it cannot survive by itself. That's actually one of the key factors that separates humanity from, you know, these other collective, like, uh, these other creatures that form collectives. Um, because humanity, technically, a human being can, you know, if trained properly and prepared properly, can actually go out on their own and survive on their own without the aid and necessity of having other humans around them. However, it is difficult, you cannot procreate, and it is completely psychologically damaging to that, that particular individual. Um, often you'll hear reports of people coming back from, um, you know, accidental, uh, I guess, <laughs> getting lost in forests or whatever and, and being out there and having to find a way to survive for, for weeks on months on end sometimes. And they are deeply psychologically damaged and they, they have to go through a series of treatments in order to even get back to, you know, being a, a, I guess a functioning member of, of their society. Now, because of this very specific <laughs> and unique difference between humanity and other, or 
between humanity and superorganisms, right? It, it definition, by the definition, wow, sorry. By definition, we are almost superorganisms, except for that one tiny little point. So um, for the purposes of, of my own research and, and the project that I'm working on, uh, I kind of, uh, I kind of developed my own term. Um, basically, what a superorganism is, except with that one point removed, uh, and in its place, a a new, um, I guess, bullet point for the definition. Uh, so I, I call it a supraorganism optima, and the reason I call it this is because humans. <sighs> Because we are so socially tied to each other, but because we don't necessarily need each other to survive, though it's not psychologically healthy. Um, superorganism optima means that um, we are a collective, we, we interact and, and we do things uh, as a group, but we also need each other in order to be psychologically healthy in order to reach our psychological height, we, we need each other to self-actualize. You can't become your best possible self without the people around you. So the fact that we are each individual agents with, with a high potential, or at least the highest that we know of, for you know, understanding and, and cognition and, and you know, using tools and intelligent... Uh, like analysis or whatever uh, that 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 you know with our ability to communicate as a as a social structure and uh coordinate and plan and uh, all of that is such an incredibly powerful combination now it is reminiscent of how the brain works right you have each individual neuron Alone, they're not much of a, much of a, you know, powerhouse or anything. But the power of the neuron is what they do when they're in in a, in a little collective, in a group. That's what makes the brain so powerful. So, it, having <laughs> right a species where. Each individual is highly intelligent, and on top of that, can communicate between each other just like the neurons in the brain can, you know, send signals to each other. It's as if we are almost ourselves a part of this intricate, well, we are, we are a part of this super intricate net of of human communication, of uh, you know, sending information to one another and, and coordinating and doing all this. Not to go off on a totally crazy tangent, but I, I often wonder, I mean, if, if the signal between neurons can give rise to a singular or at least seemingly singular intelligent mind or agent, cannot then the you know intricate interactions and and um sending and receiving of information packets between you know several million nodes across an entire planet cannot that give rise possibly to uh 
to a singular or seemingly singular intelligent mind. I mean, I know it sounds silly at face value, but um, when you really look at what what our best guess is at for what creates mind, you have to at least entertain that as a possibility. Anyway, so that was kind of totally off, uh, off track of where we're going, but you know, this is what led to our rise to the top of the food chain. We could, we could hunt in packs. We could plan hunting. We could trick the animals. We could think through scenarios. We could foresee into the future. We could, you know, uh, run simulations in our own mind. We, and and communicate those simulations. I mean, our these two traits are so incredibly powerful together. It's 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 so crazy. But it's no wonder we just you know rocketed to the top of the food chain. However, there's a bit of a kink in the machinery, and uh, I think well, well, let's let's just talk about it. In that we are individual intelligent agents and we each have our individual thoughts our individual beliefs we have also taken on <laughs> this crazy little you know a thing this construct we call an ego right mm. motherfucking ego it can be a pretty bad thing though and um when you're in a social group where you're supposed to be able to coordinate and work with each other and and allow you know this 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 flow between the you know allow the group to become almost a single functioning whole yet each individual has an ego <laughs> it's kind of a I, I guess it's I guess it's kind of a conflict of interests, but there's kind of a secret to how how to get this to work, and it's not totally the ego's fault. It's the shoddy ego. It's the broken ego. It's it's the ego of those that are psychologically damaged or have some sort of you know uh, have self distanced from the collective that that ego that's what causes the problem that's what keeps the flow from flowing that's what you know chokes it all up and, and causes these little i guess bottlenecks and um, honestly this is i guess this is kind of the core of my concern for um well as far as humanity's survival goes because it's it's the damaged egos that cause you know big rushes of jealousy and then to act on on that you know that feeling of being hurt it's it's the damaged egos that have this need for aggressive competition that have this desire for for greed and accumulation to to hoard all to themselves to make sure that they have everything that they need fuck everybody else it's the damaged ego that has a desire to, to, I don't know, exercise control over others, to force others to do what they want them to do. Fuck what the whole should be doing. Fuck what's good for everybody. 
they want to, you know, force you to do something. So I guess it's not necessarily the ego, but it's, mm, it, it's the nature of the ego that when it becomes damaged or when it's not fully formed or when it's not formed correctly, it begins to, to display, right? These, these properties that cause all these conflicts and problems. Okay. Um, <laughs> quick, uh, forewarning. All right. I, I'm going to have to turn this into a, a two part episode. Uh, I just realized that I, I, you know, I still have more than half, um, left to go. And we're about six minutes away from my 30 minute mark. So, um, this is going to be a two parter. Yay. Okay. Uh, I guess we'll then just end this episode with, um, with a thought experiment I devised uh, some time ago, but I think you'll, I, I think you'll see the point what I'm trying to say here. Okay. So I, I call this the body economic and, uh, it, it goes something like this. Okay. Imagine if you will, a human body standing in front of you and imagine that you can kind of just take the front casing off, just unclick it and just, you know, remove the case and you can look inside and see everything that's happening inside the body. You can see the lungs breathing. You can see the heart beating. You can see the stomach doing its little kind of rhythmic pulse as it's digesting the food. You see the nerves as they're, you know, running through the whole body and as they're carrying signals from the brain to the you know, furthest tips of every part of the body. The brain is up at the top, processing information, preparing responses, all that, you know, action potentials getting prepared and getting ready to just kind of fire off. And you can see the eyes receiving information. You can literally just see everything, how, how the whole body works like a perfectly functioning orchestra, at least, at least for you know, those bodies that are moderately healthy, everything should be working in step. Everything should have its own rhythm. Everything should be working, you know, in concert with everything else. That's, that's how the human body is constructed, I guess. Not constructed, but you know what I mean? That's how the human body formed over time. So you have this perfectly orchestrated, just I guess, dance <laughs> of nature, right? I mean, it's just, it really is just a beautiful thing. And it's often mind boggling that such an intricately complex system can function with very few problems. Now I want you to imagine that, uh, that you're going to introduce economy into the body. You are going to teach all of the different organs and tissues and little systems how to run the human system like an economy. You say, look, it allows commerce and trade and it allows those of you that put in more, that work more, that do more for the system to get more back. I mean, you can't lose, right? 
So you convince them and uh, the heart opens up shop, the brain does too, stomach, liver, everybody's got their little sort of storefront going and, and you have your utilities, you know, instead of the internet, of course, and Comcast or Xfinity, whatever, you've got, uh, or Cox, Cox Cable, right? You've got the brain, the brain's kind of the internet of the body and, and you've got the heart that provides the utility of blood. I mean, everything needs blood, so the heart provides that utility as a service. The kidneys and the liver provide a filtering service to filter out the blood, and the lungs provide the oxygenation service to help oxygenate the blood. But it's not long until problems start to occur. The left kidney can't pay its blood bill. And those goddamn useless testicles, I mean, fuck lazy motherfuckers, they don't do a goddamn thing. They they got shut off from everything. So, you know, now the testes and the kidney uh, go into default and they, they're forced to take out a mortgage or, you know, take out a, a big loan. And of course, next thing you know, they default on those two and end up losing everything and, well, since their services are all shut off and they don't get any blood, they don't get any internet service, right? They don't get any signals from the brain anymore. Well, what happens? They, they die. I mean, right? They're just going to be completely shut off. And, and this sort of thing continues to happen, right? Next thing you know, this organ's getting shut down and this organ's getting shut down and, and it, what the body quickly realizes is, fuck, dude, this economy thing has fucked us up. Like, we're, we're, we're supposed to all work together. It doesn't matter who does more and who does less. It doesn't matter that, you know, John is a movie star and that AJ is an artist. It doesn't fucking matter that, that, that uh, Jake is a stay-at-home dad or Nina is a stay-at-home mom. All that matters is that people do whatever their job is to the best of their ability. And if they're not receiving the nutrients, right? If they're not receiving the blood flow, if they're not jacked into the, to the communication network, well, they can't do their job to the best of their ability. Now, think back to the body economic just for a second. How quickly would a body like that die? How fast would you expect disease and cancers to just crop up out of nowhere and take everything over? It wouldn't take long. It really wouldn't. All you would have to do is introduce economy into the human body to fucking destroy it. So uh, the, the, the thought I want to leave you with, the... I guess, main takeaway for, for this first part of this episode is that each individual human has a specialty. Each individual human has an incredible capacity to become just a phenomenal artist or an actor or a physicist or a doctor or a fucking... A uh, reporter, you know, an, an engineer, a technician, a mechanic, a fucking architect, whatever. 
everybody has the capacity to become something that is helpful, something that gives back to the community, and something that is no less or no more worthy of sustenance and utilities and amenities than anybody else. Just because this guy can act, I mean, depending on who you're talking about, does that mean that, that they're afforded more than anybody else? What is the most important job? I would argue that it's teachers. Do you know how much we pay teachers? By far, one of the most important jobs, if not the most important job of all human endeavors. Yet we pay them shit. We treat them like they're not important. Who do we give money to? <laughs> the people that literally sneak our information and hoard it and sell our personal private information to advertisers. That's who we fucking pay the most money to as a society. Those are the people that we are telling ourselves are more important than anybody else. That's... Ugh. So, yeah. Just, just, just think about that, you know, and, uh, and we'll wrap this up pretty nice and neatly in the, in the second part of this episode. But, uh, just, I just want you to process that for a little while. Just, just think about what economy actually does and, and ask yourself, is it worth it? All right. Uh, thank you for listening. I will uh, see you for part two. All right. Till next time. In the interest of transparency, the Great Filter Podcast is a Phobos Tech production. All proceeds go to funding the STEM Theory Research Project and other Phobos Tech research endeavors. If you enjoyed this episode, please show your support by sharing, liking, and subscribing. You may also help support our efforts with a small monthly donation. Thanks.